Binge Mode Star Wars. It's presented by State Farm. You know those days when it feels like problems just pop out of nowhere? The helpful folks at State Farm do. That's right. Like a fender bender. When you're already late. Or a thief. Breaking into your home, making off with your new flat screen TV. Luckily, there are more than 19,000 agents who are there for you. Because when it comes to auto and home insurance, State Farm agents are ready to help. Find an agent today at statefarm.com. Uh, uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. What happened? Uh, it had a slight weapons malfunction, but uh, everything's perfectly all right now. We're fine. We're all fine here now. Thank you. How are you? We're sending a squad up. Uh, uh, negative, negative. Be warned, binge mode contains adult content and spoilers. Uh, give us a few minutes to lock it down. Large leak, very dangerous. Who is this? What's your operating number? Boring uh, conversation anyway. Luke, we're gonna have company! And now binge mode. Princess, you have to take care of her. You hear me? Huh? I love you. I know. Binge Mode Star uh, Wars. It's fantastic. That's right. New year, new look. Same old wars up in the stars. <laughs> same stars, same wars. Same stars, same wars, same galaxy. It's still very, very far away. <laughs> it's a long time ago. Folks, we're proudly a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. That's right. I'm Mallory Rubin, editor-in-chief of the Ringer.com. Oh! 2020, but still a great website, y'all. <laughs> It's still good. It's better than ever. That's right. It's great. It's never been better than this. The edge is razor sharp. This is the galaxy's edge, theringer.com. That's right. (laughs) Joining me today, now that he has finished, clearly, unambiguously, irrefutably, shooting first. That's right. It's Ringer Senior Creative and your Jedi Master, your smuggler, Jason Concepcion. McClunky. I'm a smuggler, a drug smuggler. And welcome back to Binge Mode Star Wars, where we're exploring the wider Star Wars universe from the Skywalker Saga films to the anthology films to the Mandalorian, plus numerous other facets of a galaxy far, far away. Please make the journey to Corellia. It's wonderful this time Mm. of year with us by subscribing to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, (laughs) Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And please rate and... If you have the time, review us. <laughs> if you're going to rate us, though, it's got to be five. That's right. Or we will send Lady Proxima's weird 
eel-like ass to bite you in yeah. the leg. White worms coming for you. Gross. Please also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, aka the underscore. And join our Facebook group, which is just for binge mode fans and which is an excellent place to post your favorite Harrison Ford photos. Mm. Mal's seen them all. Here's the thing we can do. <laughs> Try and show Mallory Rubin a oh picture of Harrison Ford. Let's call it pre-1980 that she is not seen. You can try. You can try, <laughs> but you will fail. Folks, you can try. You can try. And unless, I would love for you to try. Yeah, unless you're going into the Ford household and popping open one of their photo albums and taking a Kodak out <laughs> and then scanning it and putting it on the internet, Mallory Rubin's seen the photo. And please head to theringer.com slash shop to check out our Binge Mode merch, which pairs wonderfully with your favorite Han-inspired jacket. Indeed. Last time on Binge Mode, we explored the wonderful Mandalorian season one finale. It's great. So good. And today, we're diving deep. Deep. Into our latest character study. Mm. On Han Solo. Ever heard of him? I have heard of him. (laughs) As always, spoiler warning. Just like Han. Here we go. Into Leia after the Battle of Endor. Ah! We will be going deep. (laughs) 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 On details from the entire Star Wars saga to date, taking official canon and legends, hashtag not canon, into account. So punch it, Chewie! Because it's time to board the Millennium Falcon. Jason, yeah, never, and I mean never, tell me the odds. I would never do that ever. There's almost no chance of me ever telling you the odds. It's very low. Thank you. Like a one in three chance. You hear that, 3PO? Certainly, never tell me the odds of creating a pop culture icon, an archetype. That gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's search our feelings and use the force. The defining theme of this episode is yes. Harrison Ford being handsome. No, sorry. But I mean, really, yes. Honestly. <laughs> the life. Yes. Lessons yes. of legacy. Yes. Of Han Solo and the rogue archetype. Let's start with a little bit, a brief history of the rogue and the rebel in pop culture leading up to A New Hope and the introduction of Han Solo. Some of the influences and inspirations for the character we ultimately got. Well, we'd have to start with someone who first embodied the kind of Western hero and adventurer for an entire generation of early moviegoers, John Wayne, Mm -hmm. Johnny Dubs. (laughs) And this is a particular key one in terms of the eternal Han shot. First debate, we Mm. mocked George's fiddling, but... It hinges on his fundamental view of who Han Solo is, how he should behave, and how he should be perceived. Uh Here is Big Daddy George Lucas from a 2015 Hank Stuver piece in the Washington Post. Quote, Han Solo is going to marry Leia. And you look back and say, should he be a cold-blooded killer? (laughs) What? 
Because I was thinking mythologically, should he be a cowboy? Should he be John Wayne? Uh-huh. And I said, yeah, he should be John Wayne. John Wayne, if you're not familiar with his oof <laughs> in the Western genre, never killed anyone in cold blood. <laughs> <laughs> they would have hated it. They would have hated it. Only like 3,000 Native Americans, but no one else in cold blood, certainly. And when you are John Wayne, you don't shoot people first. You let them have the first shot. It's a mythological reality that we hope our society pays attention to. Incredible quote. Incredible stuff. Incredible quote for a lot of reasons. Yes, but I think I don't agree with the reality of that statement, but I think it gets at something that is kind of elemental about heroism, which is heroism is always about defense. Mm -hmm. It's never about aggression. And I think that was what George is responding to. Yes. He wanted to make sure that this is not just a guy who just walks up and sees someone who has a problem with him and then shoots him in the chest. Yes. And we're going to talk in a few minutes about what really is at the heart of Han as a character. And part of the through line of this conversation is going to be that really challenging alchemy, the harmony of the elements that are a part of who he is. Yeah. And when you're going for literal space cowboy, as as the John Wayne (laughs) influence indicates quite clearly that, you know, George Lucas was part of being a cowboy is that frontier spirit and that sense of adventure. But the characters, especially the heroes and the people we root for, have to ultimately be held accountable to the morality of the movie and the universe. It's a great point. You know, we think about what makes Han Han, and part of it is that he is this kind of illicit person, smuggler, criminal character. But what is a cowboy in a Western? A cowboy is a fusing of community and law into like a single person. And Han's a person who acts by his own code. He's got his own code that he lives by, his own laws, even though he doesn't necessarily recognize the laws of the galaxy. Yes. There's also Gary Cooper, Mm. whose wardrobe from High Noon, a great movie, is very reminiscent of Han's outfits, particularly in A New Hope. In 2018, the solo ending in which Han faces off with Beckett draws a direct parallel to the end of High Noon. Lawrence Kazan told StarWars.com about this parallel. Quote, He's not living in a romantic fantasy of chivalry, of chivalry, and this is one of the reasons he's such a popular character. The reason he caught my imagination from A New Hope is because he represented a kind of very practical, cynical, I'm going to survive this scene attitude. Humphrey Bogart, who you know made an entire career out of these kind of hard-bitten, grizzled, cynical characters who act like they don't really believe in anything, but actually secretly do. I watched Casablanca for just like no reason, (laughs) like because it was on TCM the other, this past weekend. And it's like the perfect embodiment of that kind of character where Rick acts like he doesn't believe in anything. He runs a gambling establishment. There's people just making deals left and right. There's like arms dealers and spies up in here. And yet, you know, very quietly, he's always helping people. And that's like, Han, yes, he's mm-hmm. looking for money all the time, but he always seems to fall on the side of helping people. Right. Self-interest quickly yes. gives way where Han is concerned to the needs of the group, even if he would not want you to think of him that that's way. Right. That is ultimately his instinct, and that's one of the reasons we're drawn to him. Another very clear, even directly cited influence is James Dean. Yeah. And 
in general, if we go beyond the rogue to the rebel in a broader sense, the rock and roll revolution counterculture defining the spirit of roguish, rebellious behavior in the country, in the world at large before A New Hope, James Dean is the face of that for a lot of people. And for George Lucas, that DNA was something that he wanted to capture and then port over to Han in an early draft of A New Hope. This would have been the third draft. And tracking Han's evolution through the early drafts is one of the really fun things to do. We'll talk about that as we go. But in that third draft, Han is referred to as, quote, a tough James Dean-style star pilot. Yeah. About 25 years old, a cowboy in a starship, simple, sentimental, and cocksure of himself. Cocksure, indeed. But that's obviously just a fundamental encapsulation of the Han essence. That aura on the surface, the instant thing you think of and associate him with, and then the thing that even as he evolves and your understanding of him evolves that still lasts forever is that aura of just irrepressible cool. It's such a great point because you think like James Dean is a person who passed away like what, 60 years ago or something like that. And yet his image is absolutely iconic. Cool is cool Mm -hmm. for a very long time. Cool is timeless. Cool is timeless. You could still look at James Dean and he's wearing, you know, outfits from the fifties and you're you're still like, that is a good looking and handsome young man. And you think about like what an achievement. It's very easy to sit here and be like, oh, we're talking about Han Solo and Harrison Ford and they they molded this iconic character on, on James Dean. And to think about like, in pre-production for Star Wars and going, mm-hmm. yeah, we want him to be like a James Dean type. And then actually hitting that. That's the thing. Actually accomplishing that right. is amazing. Maybe not the most innovative thing to strive uh, for. Absolutely not. Right? But to actually you want to be like James achieve Dean. it. Yeah, that's the thing. It's an incredible accomplishment. Yes. It really is. This might be a little surprising to some people because it's seemingly on the opposite end of the spectrum from James Dean. Francis Ford Coppola... The legendary director, the titan of cinema, was another acknowledged influence. Winemaker. Big time wine guy. Wow, yeah. Yeah. I love how many people have a passion for wine. You know, like if Tom Brady steps away from the game, we're going to be hearing a lot about how he came into his legacy, Drew Bledsoe. And then, you know, we're going to hear about Drew Bledsoe's winery in Walla Walla, Washington. You know, it's kind of like jewelry for your real estate. (laughs) Is what grapes are. And then you don't do anything. You, you'd smash them and you put them in a barrel and you wait. It's amazing. What a racket. I, I love, love wine. I, I respect love wine. it. I respect it. So there are a couple aspects to the Francis Ford Coppola influence. One is just that he was a seismic influence on George Lucas. It, a very, period. very important figure. George is quoted in a uh, AFI interview as saying, quote, Francis and I were very good friends right from the moment we met. He continues, he basically taught me everything about writing and directing at the same time. He got my first film off the ground and he helped get my second film off the ground. Lucas would go on to do second unit stuff for The Godfather, among other of Francis's films. And Francis was just like extremely important in giving George the confidence to follow through with some of the ideas he had. And Lucas would say that he specifically shaped Han with Francis Ford Coppola's kind of swagger and right. confidence That, that word mind. confidence is the key when it comes to how he influenced Han's creation. From a Joshua Rothman 2014 piece in the New Yorker titled The Crazy History of Star Wars, there's this quote. At the time, he was a young, seductive, swashbuckling smoothie. 
And he there is not Han Solo. It is Francis Ford Coppola who had impressed George Lucas by talking Warner Brothers into funding Apocalypse Now. When you then think about the future of George Lucas self-financing and how so much of his movie empire and what Lucasfilm became centered on his relationship to the earnings and the spending, that is a remarkable fulcrum and moment in his identity and obviously the identity of one of his key characters. Coppola will also play a key role in a secondhand fashion in how Harrison Ford ultimately got the part, which we'll talk about when we get to the casting. And then... How about Bruce Springsteen That's for right. the Alden Ehrenreich That's right. Han Solo version, at least. Ehrenreich told The Fader in 2018, in terms of growing up in circumstances that are hard and that you hate, and then dreaming of a better life for yourself and then getting out, Bruce would be it. Wonderful. Thank you. It's great. Okay, so those were some of the influences, some of the many. What about Han's actual invention and then his impact? The essence of Han, the character, the heart of Harrison Ford as Mm. the person bringing Han Solo to life and embodying Han Solo for so many of us for so long, all obviously... Deeply, wow. deeply entwined. <laughs> like your voice changes when you say <laughs> deeply. It's just, it's just <laughs> listen. Why do you turn into like a smooth jazz DJ all of a sudden? <laughs> when you say, why don't you? About it? It's almost just like a Pavlovian reflexive response. Yeah, I is. can't help it. Yeah, it is. But here's the thing: I'm not the only one who appreciates. I'm so I appreciate him. You do. And I so do, do legions of others because we're all in his clutches, Jason, in one way or another. I know. There's a, a quote from Peter Jackson, the brilliant adapter of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> we're all in his clutches. <laughs> I'd love to be in his clutches. <laughs> Peter Jackson said on the Star Wars trilogy DVD, this line that really nicely sums up Han's lasting appeal and the instant appeal, too. Han Solo is that character that we always wished we could be. That's right. I think most of us felt like Luke Skywalker, but we would have loved to have been Han Solo. Now, when you pair that, which I think is spot on and probably reflects how a lot of us feel, with Harrison Ford's own insight about George Lucas's relationship to Luke, Mm. I think that's a really fascinating lens to think of why he would have created Han and wanted him to be portrayed this way. Remember, we mentioned this on our Return of the Jedi podcast, but in the Harrison Ford interview featurette on the Return of the Jedi special edition, Harrison Ford said, I always thought the character Luke Skywalker was George. George growing up, George facing a conflict and the need to prove himself, and he did powerfully. And so you'd see the character of Luke Skywalker change from one film to the next and develop in much the same way George was developing. Now, obviously, Luke is the hero. Yes. Luke is chosen one 2.0. Absolutely. But he's not the one when you watch it at home that you're immediately thinking, I want to hang out with him or I want to fuck him or I want to be him. Han Solo is the one you think Well, the thing about about cool is... There's like an ineffable kind of inaccessibility to it. Right. You're the cool or you're not. Yeah, but it's not something that you can, like Luke, there's no hero's journey to cool. You either have it. That's right. Or you do not. I think what's so 
fascinating about that, though, is when you think about science fiction, you think about fantasy, you think about a story that in any way hinges on magic or some sort of power or ability, whether it's being a wizard in Harry Potter or being a Jedi, being able to use the force in Star Mm. Wars. That is, of course, at the most basic level, the thing that you covet, the thing that you want. And so juxtaposed against that, the ability to tap into the energy of the universe and bend it to your will and then to look at the guy next to him and say, no, that's the one. That's that the just, guy. That is but a colossal also, achievement. It just also makes sense too. Part of it like, is that there's no burden. There is. <laughs> Being Han is easier. Oh, way easier. You just got, you fly in, say a couple of things, fly out, maybe come back and do some good and then everybody's like, oh, thank you so much, Han, for turning the tide. What? What? <laughs> Who's the coolest Harry Potter character? Cedric? Pick the dick? Wow, this is a fabulous question. Coolest Harry Potter character. Cool to us or yeah, like cool, cool to most no, like people? Cool, no, cool in the world of Harry Potter. Who were the ones that was like, oh, that guy's. I think probably Fred and George. Yeah, that's true. Or Bill Weasley. Yeah, but Bill's out of school. Ginny's like, cool? Like, yeah, Ginny's cool. Fleur? Fleur doesn't count because she like actually just over stimulates your pheromones to a point like you can't actually be rational about floor Tonks Tonks is cool Kingsley Kingsley Shacklebolt not at school but he's cool for sure King just gets it done obviously Dumbledore is cool yeah Dumbly is pretty cool I take your point though yeah that's a tough one I I guess Cedric is a good answer Cedric everybody loved Cedric was Cho cool no come on (laughs) no no All right. So how did this come to be? How did Han get to be Han in that form? And how did they find Harrison Ford to play him? Han, in early drafts of the script, was supposed to be a green alien. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> the no knows. Unbelievable stuff from big George Lucas. Then he was supposed to be a Corellian pirate. And the, and the look was more pirate-based swashbuckler, the big curved sword, all that. Luckily, we got our smooth-talking, nerf-hurting pilots. (laughs) 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 Wow! (laughs) (sighs) Luckily, we got our smooth-talking, nerf-hurting pilot smuggler instead. And fun fact, you can read the Green Alien version of the early draft in comic book form thanks to Dark Horse Comics. The series is called The Star Wars. The essence in George Lucas's mind was ultimately this. According to his annotated screenplay interviews with Laurent Bozeru, quote, his character is basically a cynical loner who realizes the importance of being part of a group and helping for the common good, compromising and sacrificing his own welfare for those of others. And there are a lot of people up for this role, folks. Oh, so many. An incredible half-assed internet research endeavor to- hello. Quote our sister pod, the rewatchables. Some of this is pretty well sourced and locked and is really out there and has been reported on widely. And then some of this is any article you click on, you're going to find five new names, you know, kind of depends. But one thing that is clear, Harrison Ford has talked about this. Christopher Walken basically had this part. It's fucking insane. The other finalist. I, this is an aside and we'll get into this as we, <laughs> as we talk. But whether it's Han, Indy, other roles that he's had. Yeah. Luck plays a huge role. And he said that himself. 
listen, Harrison Ford is immensely talented and extremely handsome. Yeah. There were a lot of good breaks that Mm -hmm. he got. Oh, yeah. All throughout his career to get these roles. And this is one of them. Christopher Walken, as you noted, had it locked up. I can't even. Can you imagine? I wish I could do a walk-in impersonation so that we could figure out, like, what that would be like. Oh, my goodness. Chewy. (laughs) Make the jump to light speed. I can't do it. (laughs) It's pretty good. Al Pacino. That's an amazing one to think about. I mean, we're talking like Godfather era in my spaceship where my Wookiee sleeps. Imagine like post Scarface. Oh, man. That would be joy. (laughs) There is something so understated about the way that Harrison Ford plays Han. Like so many of the most vibrant and vivacious moments are just him smirking really yeah, he does a lot he does a lot with smirks with this kind of uh, like very rangy like body language mm. you know just like spread man spreading across the yeah, screen familiar uh bobby d robert de niro incredible that would have been a different movie nick nolte before before he became queel <laughs> kurt russell which would have been interesting you can see the kurt russell yeah you can uh, see audition it. online that casting tape is out there that would have been of all the names you've listed so far, that's the one that's easiest for me to picture. Uh, same here. Uh, Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Very Luke. tough to imagine Luke. that. <laughs> I don't I, I don't understand that one. You haven't heard of the Millennium Falcon? <laughs> Yo, who is this guy? What about the Millennium Falcon training to make the Kessel Run, but like to the Rocky montage music? <laughs> Chevy Chase and like uh, let's shout out to Chevy Chase's agent just to get him on the list of people. Here's the thing. Don't take my mic away after I say this. He had a lot of heat at that time. I, it's not shocking when you I, when you pour yourself back to that moment in time, that time, especially because of how much of the character is centered on humor yeah. and charisma and the comedic element. I think he could have pulled off. He had a lot of heat at that time. <laughs> a lot of heat. It's odd to think about now, though. This next one is James Conn. Wow. <laughs> oh, you shot Greedo first. <laughs> That's what you're going to do. You're going to put your blaster under the table and then blow his green guts out like this. <laughs> this kid. I love this kid. Oh, my God. I mean, uh, Robert Englund, a.k.a. Freddy from the Nightmare on Elm Street series. I, I don't I don't know what to do with that one. That one is just bizarre. Bill Murray. Okay. Again, the, the comedic Again, route. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Among others. The James Conn one I'm still thinking about. Yeah. Imagine the Han death scene in Force Awakens, except Kylo stabs him 800 times <laughs> rapid fire. No, no stabs him <laughs> once and then all the, the stormtroopers like, Look what they did to my Han. I want you to, Luke, I want you to take all your powers. And I want you to make it so that my Princess Leia can see him with an open casket at his funeral. <laughs> Look what they did to my heart. That's amazing. I guess it's not surprising that so many Godfather actors were linked to the role, given George Lucas's obsession with Coppola. Yes. And also that, you know, they had a, we're going to talk about this momentarily, but they had a casting director friend That's right. in common. Common link. That's right. Han was 
very nearly a black character. Billy D. Williams initially auditioned for Han, and he, of course, became Lando. Yes. Glenn Turman has also discussed being in the running for the role of Han, saying in a 2007 interview with Creative Loafing, quote, apparently George Lucas had me in mind for the role and then thought there might be too much controversy between a white Princess Leia and a black Han Solo because those were the times, and he didn't want to get into that. It's very disheartening. That's upsetting. It's quite upsetting. Harrison Ford was a famously part-time actor and part-time carpenter. Jason will be getting into this at length in today's Jedi Temple. My guy slung some wood. I know. The Dennis <laughs> Smith Jr. of wood slinging. <laughs> he did it slanging, first. Wood slanging, wood slanging, excuse me. And he got on Lucas's radar and ours in Lucas's 1973 film, American Graffiti about Southern California car culture. But as Ford explained in a Rolling Stone interview with Brian Hyatt ahead of The Force Awakens. It's an incredible interview. That prior experience with Lucas was not what led him to the audition. In fact, it absolutely worked against him because Lucas had it dead set in his mind. He wanted unknowns. He did not want to work with any actors that he had worked with previously. He wanted to start something completely new. Right. So as Ford told Hyatt and explained to him. And there are various versions of this story out there that kind of have slight tweaks depending on where you're reading them. Memory and, is, memory is yes. a, so a we're, we're going, touchy thing. We're going with the one from Harrison Ford's yes. mouth here. So as he told Hyatt, he was installing a door for Francis Ford Coppola. Right. So here he is again entering the, it was entering like, the picture it was here. French doors or yes. something like that. Some kind of entranceway. Yes. At Goldwyn Studios. Wanted to do the job at night. Yes. To avoid, as he said, quote, cross-contamination. Yes. That's actually very smart. Yes. The quote continues. This is Francis's office. I love being a carpenter. I love being an actor. I'm just not going to confuse the two. Right. But as it happened, one night in walks George Lucas. He's with Richard Dreyfuss. Incredible. (laughs) Again, incredible to just think of these things. Amazing. Hollywood is wild. wild. (laughs) Absolutely wild. They were using Coppola's office. So they come by, Harrison Ford winds up chatting. That was it. Ford insisted to Hyatt. But then Fred Roos, another key name, this is the casting director and casting consultant Jason just mentioned, asked Harrison Ford to read with the other actors. Not, according to Harrison Ford, read for the part. Just help the other actors run their lines, right? Read for their auditions. And he told Hyatt that he ended up reading with more than 100 people. Quote, the story that I know is that there were two threesomes. Oof. I bet. Jesus. Bet there were more than two. (laughs) Wow. That's almost certainly the case. 1976. (laughs) The story that I know is that there were two threesomes that they narrowed it down to, and I was in one of them. I had no idea that that was a potential situation. They asked me if I wanted to do it, and I said, sure, why not? So that's it. He was reading. Mm -hmm. Because Roos asked him to, and then all of a sudden, he's in one of the final threesomes, and they're offering him the part. And what's so fascinating about this is that they were very, very, very wisely casting for one thing almost above all else, chemistry between the three primary And boy, did they get it. Yes. Han, Leia, Luke, they knew, as you have talked about, as we've talked about so many Mm -hmm. times over the run of the pod, that the film was going to hinge on believing in the relationships between those characters. So Fred Roos, who had been the casting director on American Graffiti and had brought Harrison Ford in for that movie and was also a casting consultant on Star Wars, 
was a big believer in Harrison Ford's chemistry. And who wouldn't be, right? In a 2016 Entertainment Weekly piece by Anthony Bresnikin, now at Vanity Fair, then mm-hmm. at EW, Roos explained how he was pushing and pushing for Ford to be considered for the role of Han. Quote, I was from the get-go pushing him for Han Solo. George, you saw him right under your nose in American Graffiti. And finally, it clicked with George. Other people were considered, but finally, I won the day with George on that one. Imagine being able to boast about being the guy who said, you have to trust me on this one. Harrison Ford has to be Han Solo. Oh my God. Incredible. At the Telluride Film Festival in 2004, Harrison Ford would say of Roos, quote, Fred is a very loyal man. Once he believes in you, he is unrelenting. He kept putting me up for parts and I kept getting rejected. Finally, things worked out. I mean, what a wonderful boon to have a guy like that in your corner. Incredible. And how did George feel about his new leading man? In the Ford Q&A with Rolling Stone, Hyatt said to Ford, right as Lucas was finishing the first movie, (laughs) he was asked why he cast you. Lucas said, quote, he was the best actor for the part. Harrison is handsome, (laughs) dashing, and sullen with an underlying current of sensual hostility. This is an all-time quote. Harrison's reply, Jesus, I didn't know he liked me that much. (laughs) Well, I like him that much, too. Harrison Ford is definitely one of the best best interview subjects ever. He is just such a riot, so unfiltered and unafraid to say what's on his mind. That is absolutely incredible. And now, of course, the character and the actor (laughs) are absolutely inextricable if they were ever separate to begin with, by the way. Exactly. That's right. (laughs) You know, right. How much of finding what Han really was came through casting Harrison Ford. On the Empire Strikes Back DVD, director Irvin Kirshner explained Ford's approach, quote, Harrison delves into himself Mm. all the time. He creates problems for himself that in the solution give him the results that he wants. And as Ford told Hyatt in Rolling Stone, he had a clear sense of his role. Quote, my character was both useful in advancing of the story, but also useful to the audience in providing a more contemporary reference. Yes. He was the cynic. And so that's a good starting point. I recognize that this was not science fiction in my mind. This was a fairy tale. It was like a grim fairy tale. I really enjoy hearing him talk about how he thinks about Han's function in the story. Yes. It's, it's endlessly fascinating. So, After they crafted Han, after they cast Han, what did we get specifically? Well, let's start with the look before we get to the attitude. Space Cowboy. The look is, we might break our own record here for use of the word iconic, but the look is iconic. The word iconic exists to describe something like this. First of all, the outfits, the fashion. He was grounded in something that people recognize and understood. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Luke kind of has these flowing, almost like Japanese-influenced kind of quasi, like very loose-fitting tunics and yes. stuff. And then Obi-Wan. More of the samurai influence on that side than the Western influence that So, So Han. there was something very grounded about Harrison's overall look with the kind of like cavalry pants and the high boots and the, like the, the whole cowboy aesthetic from the Rolling Stone interview with Hyatt. Quote, there's a story that they put you in the first costume and it was pretty much the same, but it had a giant Peter Pan collar. And Harrison says, it did in Robin's egg blue. I said, is this just pasted on? Take it the fuck off and I'll deal with it. George wasn't there, but I said, this can't be right. (laughs) By the way, 
my god! You know, there's been a lot Amazing. of there's been a lot of in the discussion of Rise of Skywalker this kind of like talk about perceived sniping about the previous movie by actors in the third movie and. No one has talked shit about Star Wars more than Harrison Ford, who in interview after interview, contemporaneous and yes. and long after, has been like some version of, you just really can't understand how silly this was yeah. at the time, or something like, you don't understand what it was like to see these words on the page. Right. What has always felt remarkable about that is... The candor yeah. never felt like it came at the expense of gratitude and affection. That's a great point. It was and very th- authentic. And it, it felt like Han in that sense. That's a, that's a great point. And it is a very fine line because I think obviously something like that in a kind of collaborative atmosphere that's so high pressure could be anxiety inducing, extremely stressful. And it was certainly stressful for George Lucas. Yeah. But I think the fact that Harrison cared oh, yeah. that the work would come out being good. Right. That obviously carried through in these various critiques he had of the wardrobe and the dialogue and et cetera. Yes. I think the wardrobe, your point about it being recognizable is so important and interesting because it's sort of almost odd and a little counterintuitive that we would all collectively spend this much time obsessing over something that really anyone could just wear on Thursday, like a leather jacket, a vest, a, a kind of cream baseball tee underneath it with just the right amount if of anybody, chest hair I'll showing. say this, if any one of the ringer staff <laughs> comes in with like navy blue cavalry pants with a stripe <laughs> with a stripe on the side and, and, the and, and the boots that come up to the knee, I will be like, wow, you are in your bag, whatever that is. That would be slightly tougher to conceive, but I can think of off the top of my head a dozen people on our staff who could pull off the vest look. Oh, sure. And then, you know, the outerwear is absolutely timeless. So this is the thing. Yes. And it has been incorporated into the text of the story itself. You know, there's that nice moment in The Force Awakens when Han and Leia are reuniting and she says, you know, same jacket. It's like, no, it's a new jacket. That idea of the necessity (laughs) of the like tiny, tiny tweak to something that you ultimately don't want to fuck with because it is timeless and perfect by its very essence and nature. Yeah. I just am picturing like Han flying to the Banana Republic on Utapau or something. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. (laughs) But that's the other thing. Like, think about the oddest moment in any of the movies for Luke's fashion. Even though he looks great, it's when they're receiving their medals at the end yeah. of the New Hope because he's so clearly doing Han cosplay. Right. I'm gonna Here's get a, my I'm, hip gonna get, I'm gonna get a cool jacket too. Yeah. And again, like there's so much when you when you think about Star Wars, of course you mostly think about the story and the world and the effects, mm-hmm. the characters, but it's not too far removed from that that you think about the iconography, yeah. the fashion, something like Leia's cinnamon bun hairstyle, these things that are just completely and instantly associated with the story itself. And most of those things, what a lightsaber looks like, how a droid sounds, how Leia wore her hair, they are things that are utterly unique and specific to Star Wars. Han's fashion was not, and yet it feels like it was. It's remarkable. There's uh, the hairstyle. Harrison yeah. Ford always with a great hairstyle. Let's talk, can we talk Center about his hair? Part? Let's talk about his hair for a Center minute. Center part kind of, what would you call it, like a shag? Definitely in A New Hope, he's got longer, shaggier hair. Sure. The best his hair ever looks in Star Wars, in Star Wars is as he is about to be lowered into the carbonite chamber mm. in Empire because it is shorter and a little tighter. 
my only complaint about Hans look is that the hair was actually, it's a little too long. Like if you want to go around and respond to everyone by saying, who you call him? Scruffy. Well, he was scruffy. Like, he was scruffy. Trim the hair a little bit. That's all I'm saying. Now, well, he what, looks great. What's but, the best Harrison Ford hair movie of all time? Oh, uh, well, you know, I think it's Witness. <laughs> he's just, Witness he's wearing is good. a hat in a lot of it. So Witness is good. I think his indie hair is unimpeachable. The indie hair when he's teaching the class. That's the thing. That's what makes it so yeah. perfect is that the versatility. Yes. To be able to pull off professorial chic and then just pivot seamlessly to. From getting literal fuck me eyes from his students. <laughs> yeah. That's an incredible moment. Love it's an incredible you. moment. And again, not to, I don't want to step on my take from the hottest take, but Indian Jones. <laughs> A, a literal uh, tomb raider. Indy's canceled is still one of the best. He's absolutely canceled. And I think in that short and really affecting scene when he's teaching class, you get the sense that there are deeper troubles with Indiana Jones's work as a professor. Mm-hmm. There, there are probably issues that nobody wants to discuss. Do you have a favorite? Harrison Ford hairstyle? Uh, you know, I think Witness is a good one. I might also say Mosquito Coast because it was just kind of mm. like shaggy. And I do kind of like the shaggy. I think maybe... Um, I like his working girl hair too. The working girl hair is good. I'm going to go with Frantic, which is a movie I'm trying to get you to see. But that's like the slicked back. It's kind of, you know, like Wall Street Harrison mm-hmm. Ford. Yeah, not my vibe. No, okay. I mean, it's all perfect, obviously. Sure. That is the thing actually about the Han Solo hairstyle that while it is not my favorite Harrison Ford movie hair is ultimately perfect for the character. I agree. It conveys that rebel spirit. I'm not going to cut my hair and wear my hair the way you want me to. I'm a pilot. I've got the vacuum of space blowing in my I'm up here. Look at my co-pilot. That's right. This guy's never had a haircut. That's right. His fucking dick and balls (laughs) hanging out. (laughs) You know, like, let me tell you, wipe that seat off before you sit down. Where Chewie's been sitting. You think Han was ever like, Chewie, let me recommend a pair of slacks to you? No. He just respected his spirit. Do you think that when Chewie got up from the the seat, (laughs) there was ever like condensation? Oh, sure. Swamp ass. Poured it over to whatever surface he was sitting on. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, God. I mean... If I were ever going to use that hollow chess table, I would only sit on one side. No, you can't sit on You got to sit on the Pofin side. There's a, the leather is noticeably darker. Put on caution that. tape around it. <laughs> Disgusting. And then there is, of course, the blaster. Oh, yeah. Modeled after a German Mauser C96, which Winston Churchill weirdly mm. loved. Mm. I'm sure Chuck Rhodes has a book about that. <laughs> He's, well, he had to had get to hunt it. him back down. He really had to hunt it down to find it. Uh, <laughs> deep cut for all you billions heads. Uh, the Han Solo pose, that yes. kind of cowboy pose with the one arm yes. fired out, holding the blaster, the other arm kind of steadying himself in Asso- a crouch. Associated with the character before most people had even seen the movie yeah. because it was in the marketing material. I love to unsurprisingly think about this. Uh, of course you do. Why do we think so often about how Han Solo stands, how he positions his body? It's just... Body language is an elemental form of human communication. And I think when we talk about cool, body language is important. 
Listen, we were just talking before we started recording today about the NFL playoffs. That's right. Okay. Everybody here watched the games. A lot of people listening, I'm sure, watched the games. We all heard Boog talk about poise 9,400 times. Poise. Boog McFarland. Han Solo. The Booger Man. (laughs) Poise, Jason. He's poised. Confidence, like we said earlier, he's conveying through his posture his total sense of self-assurance. Yes. And it is important that when you're watching the movie, whether it's it's the old you either want to be him or you want to be with him thing, right? And you either want to think that you could carry yourself that way right. or that a person who can carry themselves that way is somebody who you're going to enjoy spending time with in a biblical sense. If you're dropped into a dangerous situation in space, light years away from any kind of thing that you know about or are used to, who are you going to gravitate to? The person who's like freaking out, like, oh my God, space, this is amazing. I've never been off Tatooine. Or the guy who's like, I've done this a thousand times. (laughs) And conveys that just by like sitting there. Yeah. It's going to be that guy. I know. The way that he leans. Oh, it's remarkable. So let's talk about that. That attitude, that vibe, that essence, because that is so elemental to this entire discussion. Ford has always been really impressive in how clearly he conveys how he feels about Han's essence Mm -hmm. and how carefully he has always obviously thought about that. From the Rolling Stone interview, quote, My experience had been that there were often times when people did relate to the suggestions I was making and had an idea on top of that idea. This is about how to play the character. Mm -hmm. Just because you can type this shit doesn't mean that is the way it is going to be the best expression. That is typing. Now let's see what the next step is. How does this finally feel in the mouth? (laughs) Indeed. How does it feel in the mouth? Jesus (laughs) How does this hang in the air? (laughs) Oh my God. It's like really warm in here. What does this mean in respect of what other people are bringing? What is really there in front of our faces? So what is there in front of our faces? What is that essence? Well, Han Solo is, of course, a rogue. Yeah. A loner when we meet him, as we said earlier from that George Lucas quote, he's cynical. He's arrogant. As we've talked about over the course of the run, he can be kind of a dick at times. You know, we always talk about how charming he is. And then when you return to the movies, you hear some of the things he's saying in the way he's a little bit of a dick. That hard edge. Not afraid to make other people feel bad, but ultimately then the other aspects of his persona that play off against that somehow feel even more rewarding. He is such a charmer, such swagger. So funny. Yeah. And so unflappably cool. And I think when you think about his career paths, his job, smuggler, pilot, he is someone who is free, a free bird who has complete agency. He's not confined by the rules of either the Republic or the Empire. And if there is kind of a- Flunked out for having a mind of his own. That's right. If there's a through line to a kind of that kind of like adventurous character, like back through- stories yes it's this kind of person who lives by their wits yes who's able to take what the world gives them and make it somehow make it something more and have an adventure to boot and that's what han does the han shot first debate is emblematic Uh we all have very clear ideas of han including of course big george the person Uh who created him in a 2012 interview with the hollywood reporter george lucas discussed the reasons he keeps returning (laughs) To the Greedo scene. Oh, God. 
What I did was try to clean up the confusion, but obviously it upset people because they wanted Solo to be a cold-blooded killer, but he actually isn't. <laughs> That's what I want. I wanted him to just decapitate people, George. When you first saw... I hated it. Absolutely hated it. Handsome Han Solo if casually was, kicking into Chalmans. You hated it. If there's one critique people had when Star Wars <laughs> came out, it's like, man, this is an incredible movie. Movies will never be the no. same. But it's such a shame that cold-blooded killer is in the movie because I hated him. <laughs> George continues. God. It had been done in all close-ups and it was confusing about who did what to whom. Oh, God. I put a little wider shot in there that made it clear that Greedo was the one who shot first, but no. everyone wanted to think that Han shot first <laughs> because they wanted to think that he actually just gunned him down. <laughs> this right, just is calm just... down. Stop messing with people like this. Endless fodder there. <laughs> Really a rich text that, yeah. that gives and gives and gives. That's right. One of the other things about Han, of course, in addition to him clearly shooting first, is that when we first meet him in A New Hope, he does not believe in the Force. That's right. And that is really key. I think He's totally agree. not a part of any establishment, whether it's something like the government or right. something like the slowly reforming Jedi Order. And it's only when he finds the other people, Luke, Leia, who make him discover something else about who he is and make him realize that he he actually does want to become a part of something bigger than himself, that he manages to maintain his really unique aura and identity while also opening him up to showing himself and to the other people that he's trying to help, that there's this yeah. softer side to him. And I think the thing that is so important about that is you know, George has spoken openly about this being a story that he calibrated to really affect younger viewers. And I think, of course, the younger viewers are absolutely going to gravitate to Luke. It's kind yeah. of wide-eyed wonder and adventure at the things happening. But it's important to have that character in there that's kind of like, this is all kind of bullshit, isn't it? Totally. You're not actually saying that, but really like the Force, what, get out of here with the Force. Remember one of the long ago ask the underscore mailbags where we talked about who we would want to be our master mm. if we were training and your whole thing there was i want the real shit yeah I want the not real the shit. propaganda that's right han is another version of that who's yeah. going to tell you the real shit but also be mature enough and attuned enough to who he is in the world around him to be able to admit when he's wrong and adjust and his relationship with the Force is a very key example that we're going to right. talk about that later today in the aid and what that reflects about his growth as a character. But all told, all of that comes together to create this completely, utterly indelible creation who has inspired countless other characters in his image. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked a lot about Joseph Campbell and his monomyth and how that influenced George Lucas in the creation of all of Star Wars. But what did Campbell himself think of Star Wars? He hated in it. He fucking hated it. <laughs> In 2015, Lucas Seastrom explored this for StarWars.com. Great two-part piece that you can read all of his thoughts. But for our purposes here today, we wanted to share his recounting of Campbell's Han Solo comments from his 1984 visit to the Palace of Fine Arts in San Francisco. On Han Solo specifically, Campbell felt thusly, according to the piece, quote, the famed cantina sequence from A New Hope was Campbell's favorite, symbolizing the mythical first step into the wider world. He'd celebrate Han Solo, a character we first meet in the cantina, commenting, quote, he thinks he's an egoist, but he really isn't. 
that's a very lovable kind of human being. That's, that's great. There are lots of them functioning beautifully in the world. They think they're working for themselves, but there's something else pushing them. That's great. That's a that's a great way to sum up Han yes. and Rick from Casablanca, all these other yes. characters. And it, it pushes them ultimately toward these iconic pairings, these associations that we think about just as forcefully and fully as the character himself. The pairings, so important to the character of Star Wars. There is Han and Chewie, iconic, iconic, iconic duo. Iconic. What more Impossible to think about Star Wars without Han and Chewie. Amazing. Them together, I I remember like sitting, watching The Force Awakens, the theater in New York City, and the thrill when they come bounding back onto the Millennium Falcon is just like, ooh. Then, of course, there is Han and the Falcon, which is a character. Absolutely. Just One of like the most any important other. relationships in his life. Absolutely. Han and Leia? I mean. Hello. Only one of the most important ships and couplings in the history of pop culture. Han and Luke and the kind of progression of yes. respect that Han has for Luke and the way that evolves over the course of the first movie and into the second is... One of the things that is so satisfying about that film. Yeah. And, you know, we've we've talked about this a lot while discussing the original trilogy, but I think the tendency often is to think about how Luke is kind of lost in the shadow of Han's cool, which casts itself quite far. And then when you really think about how ultimately Luke has as much of an effect on Han as Han does on Luke and Luke being able to break through to something about Han's heart and his soul and his desire to participate in the community and the whole is really an essential part of the story. And then there is uh, Han and his early girlfriend, his early love interest, Kira. That's right. Now a noted organized crime figure in the galaxy. The dragon queen herself, man. Love her. Incredible stuff. Return we will after word from our sponsors. Binge with Star Wars. It's presented by State Farm. State Farm agents know that sometimes life throws everything at you at once. Like a fender bender. When you're already late. When it comes to auto and home insurance, State Farm agents are there for you. Talk to one of our 19,000 State Farm agents via text, over the phone, in person, or using the State Farm app. Find one today! StateFarm.com And now back to binge mode. Here's a question. Yeah. Did Han invent mm. BDE, big dick energy? I think there's a case for it. It's the, you know, it's the force that binds us. It, 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 <laughs> the energy between the, all the things. The energy between all things. <laughs> it binds the galaxy together. It's the energy that emanates from that big, big, big. I mean. D. He's of certainly H4. one of the all time BDE characters and actual human beings. There's, I agree. There's, it's on the Mount Rushmore of BDE. It's just him and his dick. <laughs> it's all the it mountain is. is a giant phallus, and then instead of the head of the penis, there's a face carved into it. God. It's great. <laughs> uh, there are, of course, no shortage of testaments to Han Solo standing as an icon. Here are just some of the lists and rankings. Just some. Just some. Number 14 on AFI's list of best movie heroes. Amazing. He's number 14, and he's not the star of the movie. Or even a conventional hero, which is why it's it's amazing. So impressive. Number three on Empire's list of top 100 movie characters of all time. Indiana Jones, number one. 
This is wild. Two of the top three. And again, we're going to get into this yes. over the course of this pod. But from 1977 to like 1997, 98, no one has a more impressive IMDb run. The Apex Mountain of Apex Mountains. It's an that Apex Plateau. It's, a, it's just incredible. Apex Planet. Number <laughs> seven on EW's list of 20 coolest pop culture heroes. I would put him higher. Has to be higher. But seven is impressive. <laughs> it is. That's good. <laughs> Han and Harry Ford are a tough to top combo, according to a mental floss analysis of box office mojo numbers in September 2019. Ford's movies were the fourth highest grossing domestically of any actor in history behind only Samuel L., Robert Downey Jr., and ScarJo, which I would put in its own category because right. it almost doesn't count. Avengers. Like MCU yeah. doesn't count. This is Ford over numerous IP, Star Wars, indie, Tom Clancy, That's right. you name it. Amazing stuff from Harrison Ford and Han Solo. Amazing. So we talked earlier about some of the other forces in culture and the world that influenced the birth of Han Solo. But once Han Solo existed and became this iconic figure, that became the archetype. Han is then the face of the rogue and the rebel. And then Han is the figure that influences so much of what comes after. And that's true both in Star Wars itself and culture at large. So let's talk about Star Wars itself first before we do some of the examples from culture at large. Ford has famously said many, 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 many times that he thought Han should have died. What a flex, by the way. Just Incredible. Like, should have killed me, but I'm still here. And this is, of course, <laughs> in back in the original trilogy. Because obviously he's killed in The Force Awakens. In... The Rolling Stone interview, he said, it got picked up by the press because I had the fundamental ignorance to fucking say it out loud. What a fucking, <laughs> what a wild man. And then in 2016, after he, of course, did die in The Force Awakens, he was talking about this on Jimmy Kimmel. And he said, I argued for 30 years for this to happen. The reason that we wanted to mention that, in addition to it just being hysterical, is because the idea of Han dying and the actor who portrayed him wanting him to die in some ways speaks to how lasting and eternal he was going to be regardless. He didn't actually need, in Harrison Ford's mind and probably in many people's minds, to actually still be in the movies to in any way impact our lives. He was going to impact our lives in Star Wars and culture forever no matter what. And that has proven true, even though he did not actually die until The Force Awakens. So the first place that we have to start is obviously the solo movie. Yes, Solo, a Star Wars story. Better than you remember. Check it out. Give it another try. <laughs> a character iconic enough to warrant his own spinoff. That's huge. And remember, this was, at least reportedly, according to Alden himself, supposed to be a trilogy. Make it a trilogy, you cowards. Make Solo 2 happen. Still a routine trending topic That's out right. there on social media. We obviously stand for this movie. We enjoy Solo. But... The film's commercial failure on the yeah. Star Wars scale almost counterintuitively reinforces Han's iconic standing. I think there was this initial surge of, oh, maybe people didn't want a Han Solo movie. And I think it's it's kind of the opposite. There's such a strong belief that there was only one Han, yes. right? Harrison Ford is Han Solo, and this is the only way to do this character. That for some people, it was just impossible to bridge that gap and try to embrace any other version of it. I can understand that. I mean, it's a huge shoes to fill. The casting process 
certainly fueled that idea. Harrison Ford's portrayal almost, it is impossible to live up to. It is. This gets back to the thing we were talking about earlier when it's like, imagine saying, we want a James Dean type. We're going for this James right. Dean energy and then getting that. Right. You're asking lightning now to strike twice. It, it'd be very tough to get anybody and be, we want a Harrison Ford type. You're asking for the impossible. Yes. And there's a difference between inspiring other creations in this image and then trying to recreate some earlier unseen alternate version of this actual character that everybody is aware of to the point that it's almost a folkloric mm -hmm. in its in its yeah. stature. You know, you yeah. know Han Solo. It becomes mythical. Whether you know it or not because of totally. everything he is influenced in general, Han's influence on humor within Star Wars yes. can't be overstated and was absolutely essential. Obviously, 3PO is comedic, mm -hmm. but he's the butt of the joke. Mm -hmm. Among human characters, if you take Han out, there's really almost, there's no humor at all in A New Hope. Yeah. There's no one to say, look at this thing that we're right. doing. Isn't this crazy? Right. Inject a little levity yeah. into the proceedings. Han was a huge balancing factor to encompass the entire emotional range for viewers, and that balance has persisted throughout the rest of Star yes. Wars. Yes. So let's take a look at the other Star Wars characters built in Han's image in terms of humor and beyond. I think we have to start with cartoon Obi-Wan it's, it's actually a great, a great pull. And I'll go on the record right now. It's a great pull. The only hotter Star Wars character than Han Solo is cartoon Obi-Wan. <laughs> Check him out. Google it and get back to me. Wow. <laughs> uh, and he did fuck, folks. Oh, my God. Boy, did he. The Boy, Duchess he. Satine, RIP to a literal goddess. The new Mandalores. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful stuff. The... Trolls? Yeah, he's like a very quippy character. The sass? Yeah. The witty retorts and one-liners from Clone Wars Obi-Wan, just so much of that Han energy. And then prequel Obi-Wan too, the Ewan McGregor rendition of the character. Maybe you don't love the nature of the writing and the humor in the prequels, and that's fine. But Obi-Wan definitely injects some of that Han DNA into mm -hmm. The prequels, you know, who's going to be the person trying to lighten the situation a bit? Who's going to have some sort of like sly remark or observation about what's going on? How about Cara Dune and yeah. Grief Karga from Mando? Cara meets in a cantina, good with a blaster, out searching for her own path through yes. the galaxy, not wanting to throw in with the Republic who right. she fought for or anybody else yes. for that matter. How about Grief Karga? Oh, my God. Mando! Mando! Leather jacket. Look! Suave. Faces the dangers of bounty hunting <laughs> with a with that kind of cocksure, isn't this great grin, which is surely influenced by the mammoth amounts of spotchka this guy is throwing down. <laughs> At any given time, he, he oh literally God. works in a bar. <laughs> Yes, his <laughs> office is in a cantina. It's not, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's freaking buffalo wings and spotchka. That's know. all this guy's eating Part of all this the time. proud tradition, though, of our introduction being just him luxuriating in the booth of the cantina. I mean. Conducting his affairs. Both Han and Grief doing yeah. business in bars. Yeah. Kara, too. Again, that's where we met her. Yep, right? And again, great outfit. Fun aside, Carl Weathers, our friend Grief Karga, actually appeared in Force 10 from Navarone from 1978. With Harrison Ford, mm. this was Ford's first post-Star Wars role. And he Amazing. said he took it 
well, he said at the time that he took it because he wanted to not get typecast as a sci-fi guy. And then later on, he would say, I did it for the money. (laughs) (laughs) I respect it. I respect it very much. Who else? How about Finn and Poe? Of course. Both of them. Leather jackets, fly boys, kind of like wise cracking, go their own way types. Yes. Pairing Finn with Han directly directly was great. Both obviously talented pilots, rogues who dispense these kind of quippy one-liners and even the new droid characters like K2SO. Yes. The oh, kind yeah. of Han through line. Absolutely. L3. Han DNA. Absolutely. And then even Luke in Last Jedi has some real Han energy when he sends, see you around, kid. The kid. The use of the word kid, for sure. To Kylo, the little like wiping off of the shoulder oh after God. the after the yeah. amassed attack. Of the, he's flexing. And he, you don't think of Luke as a flexor. You think of Han as a flexor. That's absolutely I right. do love with the droids that Han-esque element of being unafraid to speak truth to power. Yes. And the passing of the jacket from Poe to Finn, as soon as you see the jacket on Poe, you're like, oh, he's the Han. Right. And then it passes to Finn as this visual signifier of who has the Han energy. There's really only, l- listen, the jacket content in The Force Awakens is Han and it is Finn and Poe, and that tells you all you need to know about who has the Han DNA speaking in those of, movies. Speaking of jackets, walk us through a bit of the ways in which Han seeped into the culture at large and that archetype influenced absolutely. I mean, the rest of pop culture outside of Star Wars, because fashion's at the heart of that. Star Wars absolutely influenced the way people thought about fashion at the time. And Han Solo was a huge part of that. In a 2015 Vanity Fair article titled How Star Wars Changed the Way We Dress, Valerie Steele, the director and chief curator for the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City, said Star Wars had a role, quote, in renovating the idea of science fiction costume as an influence on fashion. I think that Star Wars played a big role in reminding people that that indeed could be a really cool source of inspiration. Love it. And obviously Lone Star, Spaceballs, some of the parody of Han. Indiana Jones and Han Solo almost inextricable from each other because of how much Harrison Ford persona seems to be in these characters. We're going to talk later today about the Indy Han connections a little bit more, but those are, you could quibble and argue a case if you wanted to, but almost inarguably the two most iconic and representative rogue characters, and he played them both. Tom Selleck is sick right now. (laughs) Oh my God. Really (laughs) tough. Really, 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 He's on the set of Blue Bloods just fucking bawling his script up and throwing it against the floor. Blue Bloods going strong. Blue Bloods. (laughs) City major. Blue Bloods is trucking along. (laughs) Quietly. One of the only consistent forces in our lives. Star Wars. One of the others. Blue Bloods. Couple other characters and actors who were clearly influenced by Han. Chris Pine. My number two, Chris. What? No. Are you serious? Give me your list right now. Chris Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Chris Pine, Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth. Why, you don't even list Chris Pratt? Yeah. Chris Ryan, number one. Christopher Ryan. The OG, the truest OG. That's right. Our Han Solo, really. Uh Uh-huh. Chris Pine has said that he based much of his Captain Kirk on Han's vibe, this is a fascinating Star Wars, Star Trek connection here. Pine told IGN, quote, I've always loved that quality about him in Star Wars, the sense of absolute grumpy manner, the accidental hero. Love that phrasing, the yeah. accidental hero. 
Not to say I modeled my version of James T. Kirk on anything in particular, but I think I definitely have wanted to bring that kind of Harrison Ford humor to Kirk. Wonderful. Prince of Persia producer Ben Matz credited Han as a primary influence, shouts to the makers of Prince of Persia. That's right. You don't get to read this next one after you just... Starring noted Persian actor. All over <laughs> Chris Pratt. I, Chris Pratt is fine. Well, do you want to take, love you him take in Why don't you Rec. take this one and then show a little love? Guardians of the Galaxies! Yeah. Peter Quill, That's of right. course. A, a it, wonder. It, absolutely. From Chris Pratt, the biography. Quote, the Chris Pratt, the biography. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just... Amazing. You don't have it on your Kindle? I don't. I should get it. I honestly like I Parks and Rec is yeah. is huge Andy for me. And it was I, a very important part of all of our lives. Absolutely. Quote Kevin Feige's idea of who Peter Quill was reportedly lay somewhere between Star Wars' Han Solo and Back to the Future's Marty McFly. Amazing. Talk. Yeah, Doc. <laughs> we, we, Marty McFly, was he cool? Some great I Nikes. I guess he was cool. Some great Nikes the Nike, on the Marty Nikes McFly. Are I think when you amazing. think about the Walkman music, that aspect of Star-Lord, it makes sense. He's more of a Luke character because he, again, was like almost hooked up with a relative. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Incredible. What else? The short-lived but utterly oh beloved series Firefly could reasonably, could reasonably be described like elevator pitch as Han Solo with a yes. crew. Sign me up. Right. Nathan Fillion's Mal Reynolds borrows liberally from Han and the actor's personal Han in Carbonite action Amazing. figure can be seen in several shots from the series. Fun fact for you. Yeah. I have in my possession. I love it. A Mal shot first Wonderful. t-shirt, which is both. A reference to Firefly, Star Wars, and Han Solo, and, and you, to the fact that my name is Mel. <laughs> and you, as a, and you being, as George Lucas would say, a cold blooded killer. <laughs> I hated it. At Comic Con 2015, someone asked Nate, "Quote: If Malcolm Reynolds and Han Solo walked did into you just a bar, Nathan Fillion, Nate, I do. We're, we're on that. We're on that kind of. We someone have that kind of relationship. Nate, you know, one of my all time pop culture guilty NF. pleasures, Castle." Oh, listen, Castle is incredible. Uh, Castle. Stanya Kadich. Oh, my God. Beckett, forever. Get at me. My good friend, Steve Beslow, yes. who both of you know, we watch almost every single episode of Castle I together. just love that the whole conceit is incredible. <laughs> this guy is an author. Yeah. <laughs> and the cops are just like, yeah, let him tag along. Maybe he could help. <laughs> it's dedicated to his craft. Incredible stuff. And like, a really great will they, won't they over the course oh, of it? Oh my God. Well, on my all time top five will they or won't they for pop culture, Castle and Beckett, Peter and Olivia from Fringe. <laughs> <laughs> Number one by a mile. And I don't care what this says about me. Adama and Rosalind from Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, yeah, that was, that, but there was some one. real, there was a lot of res mutual respect and some real oh kind God. of like, sublimated, simmering heat. Oh, my God. Between An incredible two. relationship. What else? What else would be my top five? Juliet and Sawyer from Lost, probably. Yeah, that's a great one. I have to give the rest of the list some thought. Okay. <laughs> we really went on a tangent there. <laughs> Jamie Lannister? Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, uh, for, for sure. White guy rogue who is extremely handsome and, and wears cool jacket. Wear a leather jacket. That's it. That's the, I don't need anything else. When he goes to get Bronn, 
That's and that's says the you one. can't be with when Lawless. He that, was, that jacket, that flex. That was when. That was when <laughs> Betty Oven Weiss realized, man. We've got a very well, handsome yes. actor on it. Let's we have tr- our own Han Solo. Let's lean that in. That jacket, it was so unrealistically well cut for him. Oh, everything about it. It was amazing. And he just shows up looking great. Oh, Even Bron is like, you show up on the fucking seaside <laughs> like this. Oh, Lawless. I'm trying to mack on Lawless Stokeworth and Castle get this house. Stokeworth. Come on. And you show up and are like, now we got to go to Dorne? Listen, things ended up all right for Bron in the end. They did. Fucking master a fucking... Queen. Can't get over it. Still, I mean, that's, anyway. Still, uh, here's another one for you, and this is. This I is, swear this is real. I swear to God, this is real. Ryan Reynolds, double R himself, once told the Los Angeles Times, "That's right, that Han was quote one of the touchstones for his portrayal of a superhero." Now you're probably listening to this and thinking, "Which Deadpool. Ryan?" Actually, you're probably thinking, "Which Ryan Reynolds role?" <laughs> Which one wasn't? That's a great great point. Unbelievably, this was not about Deadpool, but rather Green Lantern. I would just say, Ryan Reynolds, (laughs) release your other touchstones because I would be (laughs) fascinated to know what the other ones are. I love this. I love it. Part of, you know, really like imbuing that sense of Han is, again, the irrational confidence idea. And that is on display right there. Tessa Thompson told The Independent in 2017 that Taika Waititi pitched her the character of Valkyrie in Ragnarok as, quote, sort of the Han Solo of the movie for Thor Ragnarok. And you you totally see it the way she shows up and is just like hucking space alcohol bottles over her shoulder and then gunning various aliens down. Oh, my God. Here's an interesting one. So Dirk Benedict has called his character from the original Battlestar Galactica, Starbuck, a version of Han Solo. Though the reason that he was saying this is because he was decrying the gender swap for the character in the Ronald D. Moore version, the new version of the show. He said, according to a digital spy report, which was sourced to Anorak City, quote, I played an iconic character, but they turned him into a girl. When you do Star Wars, you don't turn Han Solo into a girl. Hana Solo. Dirk Eggs Benedict oh getting scrambled God. again. To which I would reply <laughs> that Katie Sackhoff's Starbuck oh, is iconic. You could make the case that she is maybe the most oh, Han Solo we character other than Han Solo of all time. Katie, An absolutely masterful creation and portrayal. Katie Sackhoff, freaking strangle me with your flight jacket. Oh my God. What do you hear in Starbuck? Nothing but the rain. I fucking love Battlestar. Incredible. <laughs> and then beyond just the characters, Han Shot First, which yes. we've mentioned a couple times, obviously, has inspired so many references and allusions, either subtle or overt, elsewhere in culture. You got it in Clerks 2. You have it in Serenity. Jay and Silent Bob strike back. On and on and on the list goes. We wouldn't have really our version of pop culture today without Han Solo. It would be different. It really would. Absolutely true. Jason. Yes. Hey, your worship. Your worship. I'm only trying to help. Well, I appreciate that. (laughs) So please gather the Padawan learners. Head to the Jedi Temple. Teach us everything we need to know about Harrison Ford's career before he became Han Solo. 
Get your glasses out because this is a juicy one, folks. <laughs> oh, God. At a Q&A at the 2013 Zurich Film Festival, Harrison Ford was asked if he had any advice for young performers who are intent on pursuing their dream, wherever that might take them. Ford, shockingly, if you're familiar with the actor's usual kind of shtick in interviews, this very taciturn kind of like drag the answers out of him kind of act. Ford answered thoughtfully and perhaps... The fact that he was given a Lifetime Achievement Award by the Zurich Film Festival put him on his best behavior. He said, quote, the one thing I can say is find a way to be useful. Find a way to not insist on your dream. Include your dream. Include other people in. Be useful to the process that you want to be a part of. Don't disdain it. Make it work for you. Make you work for them. And then you'll find it a lot easier to work your way into the system. And Harrison Ford knows what he's talking about. By the time Star Wars made him a star, he had made it work for him by subsidizing his acting with bouts of carpentry, by allegedly slinging weed, and by uh, fostering these relationships with various people over the course of his early career that would eventually bear fruit and help him on his way to becoming Han Solo. Ford moved to Los Angeles along with his then-wife, Mary, in 1964 after graduating from Ripon College in Wisconsin. He and Mary lived out of the spare bedroom of an acquaintance, and he did theater eventually, making a connection that led him to Columbia Pictures. And in those days, vestiges of the old studio system still remained in place. And Ford met with the head of casting for Columbia Pictures, who, upon seeing some potential in The Young Star, put Ford on a path after auditions to signing a then-industry standard seven-year deal for 150 Period, zero, zero dollars a week. Going to take a long time to pay Jabba back at that rate. (laughs) The life of a contract actor was a very strange one. Much like minor league baseball, studios of the day utilized this system as a way to groom potential stars while handcuffing them to cost-effective deals that effectively kept them off the market and from working for their competitors. Image, appearance, beauty, these things were prized by the system. Acting chops were at best a tertiary concern. Execs worked to mold young performers into what they thought would be bankable, attractive stars. For women, the system was cruel and exploitative. Sexual abuse and coercion, pressuring actresses for sex in exchange for the promise of work, the so-called casting couch, was endemic. On top of that, women were also expected in public to dress and behave like ladies. Men were expected to dress and behave like gentlemen. Quote, I wasn't happy being a baby actor. Ford told the New York Times in 1977, it was the old studio star building system. They made me wear a suit and stuff. They were thinking in long terms of changing my personality. Suffice it to say, it was a difficult time growing up. These attempts to shape Harrison Ford into the mold of performers not named Harrison Ford seems bizarre today. While being interviewed for a 2017 profile in GQ, Ford told writer Chris Heath that a studio in which is not specified handed him a picture of Elvis and told him to have his hair done in the king's signature do. When told he needed to change his name for it again, Heath said he trolled the unnamed studio by suggesting the name Kurt Affair. Honestly, he could have pulled it off. Quote, it was just the stupidest name I could think of, (laughs) Ford told GQ. I was just fucking with them. His first film appearance is an uncredited turn as a green-jacketed bellhop in the 1966 crime film Dead Heat on a Merry-Go-Round, Starring James Coburn, his first credited role as Harrison J. Ford in order to differentiate him from the silent film star of the same name. And I'm sure you get him mixed up all the time. (laughs) 
was in 1967's B-movie Civil War drama, A Time for Killing. The J was quickly dropped in his subsequent work. There were television roles in The Virginian, Ironside, Mod Squad, My Friend Tony, and the FBI, among many others. In 1968, French New Wave director Jacques Demy wanted an unknown to headline his first American picture, Model Shop, and decided on Ford. However, the head of Columbia Pictures, who at the time would have been Abe Schneider, decided Ford had no future as a leading man. And the role went to Gary Lockwood, best known for playing Frank Poole in 2001, A Space Odyssey. That's one old Abe wants back. <laughs> he wants that one back. Let me tell you. <laughs> Abe wants a mulligan on that one. After about a year and a half under contract, Columbia dropped Harrison. Universal came along, scooped him up, signed him to a similar deal, and similarly, after about a year and a half, dropped him as well. Harrison's career stalled out. Ford, now a father, needed income, as we all do. So, as even casual students of Star Wars and all things Harrison Ford know, the actor <laughs> began slanging that wood. By which, of course, I mean he took up carpentry. Legend has it that Ford simply taught himself studying up at the Encino Public Library and gaining practical experience by fixing up the home he had purchased for his growing family in the Hollywood Hills. Quote, I had a house at the time I wanted to remodel, Ford said in a 2014 Reddit AMA. (laughs) I'd invest money in tools but wouldn't have the money for materials, so I realized this was another way of putting food on the table. In his 2017 GQ profile, Ford tells... Keith, that he did have some background from working with his father when he was a kid in their home workshop. Quote, I knew how to run the tools. I knew how to cut a straight line. Knew how to screw. Hello. (laughs) 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 He He did. He did. His first big break in the carpentry game was a $100,000 job in like 1970 money, wow. real serious money, building a recording studio for the Brazilian musician Sergio Mendes. In 2015, Mendes posted a delightful photo <laughs> of himself flanked by Harrison and Harrison's crew to Facebook with the caption, quote, The Force Awakens. Before Han Solo, there was a great carpenter named Harrison Ford, and here he is with his crew the day he finished building my recording studio back in 1970. Thank you, Harrison. May the force be with you. After the Mendez gig, Harrison became, according to legend, something like a carpenter to the stars. Mm. Okay, but was Ford actually good at carpentry? (laughs) Author and chronicler of 1960s and 70s L.A. culture, Eve Babbitts, Mm. a noted intimate of Ford's, (laughs) was unconvinced. In Hollywood's Eve, biographer Lily Analik quotes Babbitt as saying, quote, God. I don't think I don't think Harrison knew anything about architecture or engineering <laughs> or anything like that. He built a deck for Joan and John. This is aside, Joan Didion and John Gregory Dunn. So, yeah, apparently the <laughs> Carpenter to the Stars thing was pretty legit. Oh, my God. Quote continues. And John almost killed him because he never finished it. <laughs> Done in his 1974 semi-autobiographical novel, which is now out of print, Vegas, A Memoir of Dark Season, seems to corroborate this writing, quote, what had started as a two-month job stretched into its six-month, and the construction account was $4,000 overdrawn. I fired the contractor. He was an out-of-work actor, and his crew sniffed a lot of cocaine. (laughs) Amazing stuff! (laughs) Oh my God. Well, it was the 70s. Woo! 
Hollywood's Eve has some incredibly dishy quotes on Harrison's side side hustle <laughs> from Michelle Phillips of Mamas and the Papas fame. Mm-hmm. Quote, I didn't even know Harrison was an actor. I remember getting dragged to Star Wars at 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning by my stepbrother who had done some animation for the movie. I was sitting there watching the screen and all of a sudden Harrison comes on and I gasped and said, that's my pot dealer. <laughs> oh my God. All the leaves are green. <laughs> oh my God. That's unbelievable. Ford, according to Babbitts, apparently transported his wares in a, quote, bass fiddle case, which he purchased at Barney's. <laughs> Smuggler indeed. Oh, my God. I hope everyone paid attention to see if their ease dealer was in Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> Another too good not to share anecdote from Babbitts <laughs> via Eve's Hollywood. Oh quote, my God. this one is too much. I can't. Oh, my God. Harrison could fuck. (laughs) Nine people a day. It's a talent loving nine people in one day. Warren Beatty could only do six. Which one of those was his wife? Number one? (laughs) Listen, credit to Cram for noting this during the research phase for this podcast. But this just seems like an unnecessary shot at Warren Beatty. who is clearly doing fine. Six is okay. There's nothing wrong with six. I actually don't understand. I, I'm sorry. Like, I obviously spent a lot of time thinking about Harrison Ford's sexual prowess. Yeah. Nine is a lot. Nine is How a lot. How do you get anything else done? You'd be, you factor you'd be, in the refractory period. Oh I'd like God. to think he's quite gifted and that these are not sure. quick sessions. You'd when be, do you get anything else done? How many be, naps is he taking? And forget about it. You'd be as dry as the surface of Tatooine. <laughs> After nine. Oh you just be shooting dust and chalk <laughs> at the end of that. Oh my God. I mean, this is Wilt-esque. <laughs> he, man, he shot first and ninth. <laughs> the, the, the quote continues. One time Earl, the late Earl McGrath, a music producer and art collector and a close friend of Harrison's, and Harrison and I were taking acid at the beach in Malibu. <laughs> And then I suddenly decided we had to go home because there were just too many cops around. So we drove all the way back to Hollywood. That's it. That's just virile Harrison dropping acid at the beach around 1969 or 70. That's the anecdote. Amazing stuff. Holy shit. Anyway, at the 2013 (laughs) SinQuest Film Festival, Ford explained his strategy for balancing acting with carpentry and probably selling weed, allegedly, maybe. (laughs) Quote, during about a 10-year period, I only did an acting job if it was a better job than I had before, if it was more ambitious. I did three acting jobs during that period of time. They were American Graffiti, The Conversation, and a little piece of work that Stanley Kramer, he says Kubrick in the interview, but he means Kramer, <laughs> did for television called The Court Martial of Lieutenant Callie. The first two films were, of course, especially yes. important. Around this time, Ford, as we mentioned earlier, had come to the attention of casting director Fred Roos, who by the early 70s had become an important advisor and mentor to Francis Ford Coppola and by extension, George Lucas. Quote, I knew him really well, Roos told EW in 2016. Not only was he an actor, he was a friend, and he was doing carpentry work for me when he needed to make extra money. He had a family. He had kids. He had really good weed. (laughs) (laughs) That last part, it was not attributed to Roos. Harrison was initially offered 485 a week to appear in American Graffiti, the role that basically changed his career. He declined because, as he explained at Sinquest, he was making more than that as a carpenter at the time. They bumped it up to 500. Man. 
and Ford accepted, setting him on the path that would eventually lead him to Star Wars. I'm still hung up on the nine a day. That's one for every movie in the Star Wars main series. I'm thinking right now of the absolutely exceptional moment in Fleabag season two when Hot Priest goes over to her house, but then the other guy comes over and she has to explain. And then he's the guy who made her come nine times in one night. Well, I think if you wake up, one is like nine times. One is the easiest one. Get that out of the way. Yeah. Mal? Yeah. Even I get boarded nine times. I mean, sometimes. So before I do, we should make this the nine. Oh, oh my God. Of the eight. You're right. Let's roll like BB-8 through eight <laughs> of our favorite Han Solo moments. One less than Han was capable of pleasuring Listen. over the course of a 24-hour period from the primary films. Lightning Ground style, you go first. We still make it work for us. He made the eight. <laughs> he made the eight. <laughs> Number eight. Yeah. Let's start with a moment you mentioned earlier. Han and Chewie returning to the Millennium Falcon in The Force Awakens. Chewie. We're home. Ray, Finn, BB-8, they're all already on the ship. And then we hear, oh, someone's coming. Who is it? Door opens. It's Han and Chewie. And that wonderful, perfect movie moment when Han says, Chewie, we're home. The smirk. Yes. The pause and the delivery, the true love and affection in his voice. Chewie and the Falcon Beautiful. are two of the great loves of Han's entire life. They belong together, as we hear him say in Solo. And here, in this moment, we get to see them together at last again yes. after all this time. It's wonderful. Han's relationship with the Falcon is a consistently delightful one to track across the films. Think of Han going to win the Falcon from Lando yes. in a game of Sabacc in Solo. A Star Wars story. <laughs> Think of him returning to the ship here. Think of everything that happens in between the milestones with the Falcon Mark, many of the great milestones in Han's life. What's more, this may be the purest past-future connection in the sequel trilogy. Yeah. It feels totally organic and right. It's great. Number seven. Han rescuing Luke with the Tauntaun gut trick yeah. in Empire Strikes Back. This may smell bad, kid. But it'll keep you warm until I get the shelter up. So on the one hand, Han is responsible for the death of a Tauntaun. He was warned that the creature would not make it through the cold temperatures despite being a native beast to this planet. He needed to find his friend, and I respect it. (laughs) I agree. He slices it open to shove Luke inside of its warm guts, making a Tauntaun sleeping bag for Luke's yes. hallucinating bin. Ben, ben. What is this I'm in? What the <laughs> fuck is happening? So while we mourn the Tauntaun, it's an incredibly dope sequence. Han getting to wield a lightsaber for a second there to cut open the, the Tauntaun. Incredible. And while the science of what Han does there and Luke somehow remaining alive might not track as we outlined at length in the Empire pod, the gesture tracks. Jason. That's right. The gesture track stands out still as one of Han's best. It is a display of great bravery. Yes. Great bravery, real danger, and great ingenuity. You know, that ability to just think on the fly. And of course, friendship, pure friendship. It's wonderful. Sir, the temperature's dropping too rapidly. That's right, and my friend's out in it. Your tauntaun will freeze before you reach the first marker. Then I'll see you in hell. Amazing. Where I'll be getting laid nine times a day. What a king. Seven circles of hell, but... (laughs) 
<laughs> two less. <laughs> the chances of survival were 725 to one. Oh my God. But Han did it juxtaposed against the constant reminders early in Empire that Han is trying to leave Echo Base to go yes. deal with the debt that he owes Java. This kind of moment reminds us that Han doesn't have to do this stuff. His selflessness is rarer and it is also more meaningful when yes. he does it. Same goes for the equally wonderful moment shortly after the sequence when Han focuses above all on getting mm. Leia safely out of Echo Base. Love it. The other crucial part of the Tauntaun sequence is, of course, the medical bay group flirtation that follows. Well, your worship. (laughs) Can't have one without the other, so thank you, Wampa. I love that sequence so much. Number six, Han talking to, I wonder if he means old Ben Kenobi. Could it be? Could it possibly be? (laughs) And Luke, about the Force in A New Hope. Hokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side, kid. You don't believe in the Force, do you? Kid. I've flown from one side of this galaxy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff, but I've never seen anything to make me believe there's one all-powerful force controlling everything. There's no mystical energy field controls my destiny. It's all a lot of simple tricks and nonsense. Now, this moment orients us so wholly regarding who Han really was when he entered our lives and when he joined this story, what he represents about the wider galaxy outside of the Jedi hive mind, and importantly about our own skepticism, the skepticism that we as audience members might have entering that story. And it positions Han crucially as a friendly foil, but a foil nonetheless in this sense for Luke and Obi-Wan, a true believer and a true believer in the making. It's also a crucial marker for establishing Han as a comparison for himself as he evolves both within this film and across the franchise. Yes. And think about Han telling Finn, quote, that's not how the Force works. Love that. And the Force awakens, which is <laughs> great moment. It's really mind-boggling yeah. when you think about where he's come from. Or telling Ray, it's true, the Force, the Jedi, all of it, it's all true. Those moments aren't possible without this first moment. Everything else stems from it. I love it. I love thinking about how Han matures. Number five, of course. Never tell me the odds. Han shout, never tell me the odds! At 3 p.m. on Empire. You didn't have to do this to impress me. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. Never tell me the odds. Never do it. Never. Never. Never tell me the odds. Shut him off. There are obviously a ton of great moments in the Falcon cockpit, including the absolutely exceptional. Sorry, sweetheart. I haven't got time for anything else moment. Just a touch later in this film. Again, Star Wars may be for kids, but it's so clear that Han fucks in moments like this. Yes. That, whew. But this right here, the never tell me the odds line. It's just unrivaled king shit from Han, irrefutably one of the most quotable and most oft quoted lines mm-hmm. in Star Wars history. It's a moment that drips with cool. Is it reckless? Yes. Is yes. it brilliant? Absolutely. Yes. It's the kind of instant association we make with Han, these kind of disparate threads that all together form the holistic image of a just super cool BDE guy. <laughs> all these years later, willing and able to do what mere mortals could not even imagine. That's right. And it builds more than Han's legend. It builds the Falcons, too. It gives us trust that the ship and its pilot can always find a way to persevere. Yes. Truly crucial and cool. Number four, Han Returning to battle the Death Star. What? And a new hope. What? Yahoo! 
not only an incredible cog in one of the most important and innovative action sequences in film history, but obviously an elemental moment too for Han's character arc and his relationships with Luke and Leia and forming that trio. He does not have to come back. Absolutely. He's already left. He's already said his goodbyes. He's had those painful moments. He chooses to come back. And despite that gruff exterior, not scruff because we don't want to offend him, but the gruff <laughs> exterior, he, a little bit of a Danny Jorah element here, you know, has Absolutely. a gentle heart, gentle heart, gentle princess. Heart. <laughs> and he may not be ever the card carrying, pamphlet dispensing, true believer in the cause, but he cares about the people in his life who affect him and make an impact on him. He cares about Luke. He yes. cares about Leia. He cares about trying to protect them and help them. It's a moment that encompasses Han's multitudes. He is bold. He is skilled. He is a rogue. He is reckless. He's kind. He's selfish. He's a fighter <laughs> and a protector all yes. at once. On the heels of the really crushing farewell sequence before the battle. All right, we'll take care of yourself, uh, Han. I guess that's what you're best at, isn't it? Man. Hey, Luke. May the force be with you. This return and the trio's joyful reunion after the fact soars all the higher. Wonderful. He's just a walking sexy contradiction. Number three. Han shooting first. He shot first. Han shooting Greedo. He shot first. At the most Eisley Cantina in A New Hope. Over my dead body. Uch, Lenyuma. Possibly the most talked about Han Solo moment of all time. For, not always for good reasons. For not the reasons. As outlined. For not the reasons that you want. You know, the constant fiddling has obviously in some ways undermined this moment because nobody even knows which scene has the integrity to be the actual final version of it at this point anymore. But in other, ultimately, I think, weightier ways, it has breathed all of this extra yeah. life into the legend of that moment and made it something that almost exists, obviously tethered to, but also separate from That's apart great, from yeah. Star Wars. The whole Mos Eisley Cantina sequence is, as far as Han is concerned, a masterclass. It's our introduction to him. And what an important introduction it is. And he owns that sequence, oozing confidence, oozing bravado. You've never heard of the Millennium Falcon. No, should I have? <laughs> and then he boasts about the less than 12 parsec Kessel Run haggling for a steeper rate for himself and his uh -huh. co-pilot. And then the smooth criminal aspect of this entire exchange with Greedo, picking at the wall yeah. as he's got a gun on him, leaning back, feigning uh, absolute comfort and disdain almost, casualness before the eventual cold-blooded killing Cold shot. They hated it. This sparked <laughs> one of the most stubborn pop culture debates of all time. Still, remarkably unending. Incredibly that it's unending still. But the McClunky. real... McClunky! <laughs> but the real star is in the order of blaster bolts. It's Han's demeanor, and we understand that disposition right away. Yes. Number two. This is a sad one. It's sad. Touching his son, Ben's face, right as he's about to die in The Force Awakens. So this is obviously on the other end of the emotional spectrum from some of these other Han moments. We have Han's death, mm -hmm. this really poetic, perfect bookend to reinforce how complex he ultimately was as a character and as a figure in Star Wars. You know, in some ways, he's just the, the simplest man in the story. Mm -hmm. He wants to flirt. He wants to fly a fast ship. Mm -hmm. Wants to be with his pals. Okay. 
But in other really lasting ways, the impression that we're left with is about his soul and about his heart. He wanted to be a better man, even though he often implied and wanted people to think otherwise, but he just couldn't always find a way to be. And that is tragic and ultimately as relatable as anything else in the story. And this moment with Ben, when Kylo kills him, comes shortly on the heels of another extremely emotional reunion in the same Mm -hmm. film with Leia. Also a contender for this list in and of itself, the way that losing their son pushed them apart, but also still connects them and the love that binds them. It's just a wonderful part of his character and a wonderful thing to see. It would have been easy to send Han off in some kind of gun battle, blaze of glory, uh, flying that Millennium Falcon Mm -hmm. somehow. This quieter, gentler death focused on his humanity, his shortcomings, and not the flash. And it is a surprising and powerful choice. I think that there's, again, the, the evolution of the character. This is a character who shows up seemingly without any connections to anybody except his co-pilot and his ship, and then suddenly here undone in a really uncharacteristically quiet moment by a connection that he has to another person and one that he can't deny. The whole scene is shattering, but the moment when Han reaches out to cut Ben's face after Ben is stabbed is just sad and perfect. And there's the Ben shout that leads to the exchange. He didn't need to do it. He, yeah. he could have left. Blow the charges, blow the base and leave. But he wanted to reconnect with his son and pull him back toward the light. Han died, but the good heart went out. And this moment ultimately helps pull Ben back in episode nine. Crushing. Every time. Crushing. But there can only be one number one. That's right. And it's Han saying, I know. After Leia says, I love you in Empire. I love you. I know. Improvised line. Incredible. What a flex. Utterly iconic. The perfect blend of and embodiment of Han's sexiness, his smugness, his charm, all of it together. Ruined generations of young men. (laughs) This one scene. It is honestly one of the sexiest things in the history of time. It really, really is. (laughs) It's like Jordan, like, taking off from the free throw line. Like, don't you... (laughs) Michael Jordan could do that. Don't try it. Oh, my God. It's amazing. Also, right before the iconic line, he makes his impassioned plea to Chewie to protect Leia and then kisses her with real passion. He's not just suave here. He shows a lot of tenderness and real heart. And, of course, he's about to get frozen in the carbonite. (laughs) Luke is on his way to battle Vader, who, by the way, Han instinctively and fearlessly fired his blaster at moments prior to this. There on Cloud City. There's a lot on the line for yes. Han here, including his actual life. <laughs> yeah, but at the very <laughs> least his actual life. But he still manages to exude that signature charisma and courage under fire. God, he can't is stop it. walking sex. Mm-hmm. Woo! I mean, after nine times, can he walk? <laughs> That's what the carbonate is for, the healing. <laughs> Just freezes dick in carbonate. rest. <laughs> Load <Okay>. management, indeed. <laughs> Nothing to manage. There's nothing left. We're in low deficit. Man. Jason. Yes. You like me because I'm a scoundrel. I mean, that's insightful. (laughs) Just like today's winner. Every episode, we're going to honor the character or person who rallied the troops, advanced the cause. And today, the winner of our Medal of Bravery is...
Harrison Ford, king of the rogue. You know, who's the more iconic character? Is it Han Solo or is it Indiana Jones? Whichever side of the debate you land on, you have to tip your cap or your blaster or whatever to Mm -hmm. the actor who portrayed both of them, Harrison Ford. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Imagine getting to boast about playing two of the sexiest, most charming gun or whip slinging in the history of cinema. Actually crazy. Shouts to Tom Selleck, who had this role, but then was contractually (laughs) obligated to appear in Magnum P.I. and then had to drop out. Clearing the way once again for Harrison Ford. And for Blue Bloods. <laughs> Shouts of Blue Bloods oh my on CBS. How closely aligned are Han and Indy? Well, beyond just the idea of the rogue, there is a very popular internet theory that Indy's entire saga mm. is Han's fever dream while he is encased in carbonite. Okay, this is a fan theory and thing on the internet. If you're eager to learn more about this and explore it at length, we would recommend checking out the Indiana Jones Minute mm-hmm. breakdown. They attacked this theory with expert madness. Very fun thing to dive into online. Harrison Ford may not have shied away from mocking Star Wars. No. He did it all the time. Never forget, quote, you can type this shit, but you sure can't say it. Comment about George Lucas's dialogue. Harrison Ford hated it before anybody. <laughs> but Han and Indy are two of his signatures and two of pop culture's yes. most iconic characters. And despite those jabs, he knows that playing these icons is a rare thrill. Yes. Remember the gem of a quote we shared during our Force Awakens pod from Brian Hyatt's Rolling Stone feature on the film. Quote, I could have felt silly to be my age prancing around in high boots and a gun belt with a guy in the hair suit, but I didn't. I love the work. I like playing different kinds of characters. What's not to like? It's no big fucking deal. That's what I do. (laughs) Just a legend. An absolute legend. Here's to Harrison Ford. Literally the sexiest person. Should I read his IMDb from starting in 1977? Just quickly. This is only highlights. Mm -hmm. They're all highlights. I mean, it really. Star Wars. Apocalypse Now, Empire Strikes Back. Heard of it. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Blade Runner. Those three, Return by the way. Return of th- the Jedi. Empire, Raiders, and Blade Runner three years in a row is untoppable. It's a 20-year run. It never untoppable. actually, it's the runs within the runs. Return of the Jedi. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Racist movie. Witness. Yes! Mosquito Coast. Mosquito Coast was his one for me. That's the craziest <laughs> Frantic, which I love. Working Girl, underrated. A great one. one. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Presumed Innocent. Regarding Henry, which Uh, I stand for regarding Henry. mm -hmm. Patriot Games. The Fugitive. Oh, my God. Clear and Present Danger. Sabrina, which is like really underrated. Air Force One. (laughs) I don't even know what to say about this. It's an incredible run that will honestly never be equaled. Never. He is a lord. It's amazing. A lord. (laughs) Well, sorry, sweethearts. We haven't got time for anything else. As Isaac Lee and Zach Cram, our indispensable producer and researcher, are reminding us. We hope you had as much fun as we did today, that you're as excited as we are to hop back onto the speeder and continue to explore the galaxy. Because we're not done yet. But you'll join us again next time as binge mode Star Wars continues. Until then... Laugh it up, fuzzball.
Hello? It's Harrison, your carpenter. Yeah, I'm here to start work on your deck. I've got all the wood in the back. You can just let me in. Where can I put all this stuff? Ma'am, you all right? 